Bigfoot, Skunk Ape, Grassman, Sasquatch. Just a few of the names given to the primate-like creature said to roam the woods and remote areas of North America. Tales of this elusive being go back for hundreds of years. Is it mere myth and legend? Or is there truly something more tangible to this phenomenon? Join us on this journey as we discuss the science behind the encounters, the research and the evidence, keeping you updated on the latest findings, ideas and hypothesis. Arrogance gets us nowhere and closing one's eyes doesn't make things disappear nor less real. Today's myth could be tomorrow's reality. It's time to make this subject matter less taboo. Welcome to Monster X Radio. Bigfoot without the BS. Welcome to Monster X Radio. We got a great show for you all this evening. Tonight we bring you part two of our talk with Amy Boo as we further discuss Project Zoo Book. On the show this evening, we will be talking with three different individuals involved with the project. Two of them work directly with primates, and our third guest is a primatologist. So sit back and enjoy the conversation as we delve deeper into the inner works of Project Zoo Book. We got Jack and Ann with us. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Oh, I mean, I'm so stoked to have you guys on the show to talk about Project Zubuk, to talk about your background and uh, what got you interested in the Sasquatch phenomenon. You guys are fascinating individuals, and I now call you friends. And so it's just been a, a fun ride. I'll say with meeting you guys and talking with you guys and collaborating and it's been a really fun ride. I think people are going to enjoy this show. And can you, can you start out by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So I have a bachelor's degree in zoology with a concentration in zoo and aquarium science. Um, I've been a zookeeper for a little over five years now and I work with the primates at the zoo that I work at, um, great apes as well as old world monkeys and persimmons. And outside of work, I pretty much love all things outside, hiking, backpacking, fishing, all that good stuff. So I'm outside whenever I can. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. All right. Jack, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Definitely. So my background, I've been interested in primates since I was a little kid. I grew up watching uh, the original King Kong from 1933 as a three-year-old, and that's what inspired me to one day want to work with gorillas. And over the course of the last 13 years, I've been lucky enough um, to be able to work with not only gorillas, other great ape species, other primate species, and then throw in a mixture of other mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibians. I've kind of have a nice, a nice gamut of different animals that I've been able and lucky to work with and kind of learn from. But kind of using that passion that I had as a three-year-old to want to work with gorillas, I've used that as the platform to kind of be known as the gorilla guy. And I've been able to 
you know, help raise funds for gorilla conservation and other primate conservation. And that's been like my main focus for as long as I can remember. So that's kind of where my drive stems from. Yeah, you guys are really unique individuals. It's been a pleasure talking with you guys, you know, over what the last year and a half, two years. Um, and, you know, we got much to talk about tonight, but just giving you guys' backgrounds, what you guys do working as zoologists, working with primates, you know, that's obviously my interest. Uh, and you guys already know my interest is outside of that. It's Sasquatch. And that's kind of why we're talking tonight. But so, Anne, you got, you know, this obvious interest in Sasquatch and the Sasquatch phenomena. I want to get to, I want to get to Jack here in a moment, but I'm really interested in, you know, what you have to say, because you really kind of kicked this off, this whole, this whole uh, collaboration with Amy and Jack eventually came into the picture, uh, at least on our end. Obviously you guys are, you guys work together and whatnot, but how did your Sasquatch interest start out? Uh, you know, there, and can you tell us a little bit about that? Of course. So, you know, I've always been interested in Sasquatch. I mean, I love the idea that there's still some mystery left in the world, you know, some things that we don't know about potentially. Um, so I've always kind of been interested in it, but obviously the subject is so taboo that it was just always one of those things where you're like, oh yeah, Bigfoot, maybe it's out there. But it was always kind of, you know, I was interested, but tentative about it too, like pretty skeptical about it. Um, and so I actually visited a Bigfoot museum several times and the first time we went there, I went with some family and it was kind of like, we were all laughing about it, you know, not taking it too seriously, but I found myself like super interested in it. And so we went back a couple times and every time I would go, I would come back to work afterwards and I would always kind of mention to my coworkers, they'd be like, oh, what'd you do on your trip? And so I'd tell them all about it. And the, the Bigfoot Museum was always like, you know, everybody was pretty excited about it. And so you, we would kind of throw it out there, like tentatively, like, well, what do you think about it? But nobody wanted to be the person to be like, oh, yeah, I think it's, you know, I'm super interested. But eventually, I kind of figured out that Jack had a pretty strong interest in it as well, and a couple other people that we worked with as well. And so we started sort of like, you know, uh, listening to podcasts on our lunch breaks and kind of discussing it. And it became like, a lot more serious over time to it till we got to the point where I started talking to Amy and all that, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. So, okay. That was your interest. And then obviously one of your cohorts, uh, one of the individuals you work with is Jack. Jack, did you have an interest in Sasquatch? I mean, you kind of talked about it a little bit, but really what got you into the subject matter? What was your initial interest? So initially, like growing up, when I mentioned before about, you know, being really into gorillas, over the course of learning about gorillas and other primates and stuff, you know, you come to read different um, books and articles and stuff, and you find out that just barely over 100 years ago, gorillas were once considered mythological creatures. So for gorillas to have that kind of a background or that mysterious background and stuff, and come to think that there's the possibility of similar creatures that could be roaming around in North America that really caught my attention and stuff. So I've, I've always been focused on gorillas, but you always want to keep your mind when you're, you know, dealing with science and stuff that, you know, there's stuff out there that is, I mean, half the world could be undiscovered and you don't know what could, you know, be around the corner. So this was something that 
growing up, I would watch documentaries, I would watch TV shows, read books, you know, anything that dealt with Sasquatch and learning as much as possible about that as well, too. So that just became such a fascinating topic. And like Anne said that, you know, you kind of approach that subject very slowly and kind of gradually. And if you see somebody not laughing completely, you might take advantage of that and say like, well, are you serious about this? Or was that just a joke? So then when you when you get past the joking part and you see that somebody might actually be interested in it, then you can kind of move on from the subject and actually dive deeper into it. Yes. What's really interesting is I, and I, I don't mind mentioning other podcasts on my show. Um, you guys, uh, I know we're, I think on your lunch breaks collectively listening to Sasquatch Chronicles and Monstretch radio, were there tidbits out of some of those podcasts, listens that you guys were partaking in listening to that really intrigued you i mean obviously you know it's just a podcast but there were some things that stuck out to you as far as behavior that i think really got you guys even more involved or more more uh, got your your wheels turning in your head when it came to the sasquatch phenomenon am i correct oh definitely yeah it was the behavior i think that really got us hooked and just like hearing all of the witness encounters and things that they would see it was stuff like that and we would be listening to it and it's like well you know the people would be confused like well I didn't I didn't understand what it meant and we're sitting there like well we know what it means like that's primate behavior that we see every day you know like something like fear gritting a lot of people will say that like the Sasquatch when they see it will show its teeth and it doesn't seem like you know, a lot of people recognize that for what it is, but like to us, that would be a fear grin, like that animal is stressed and it's upset. And so it was all that kind of stuff that like, we see that in the primates that we work with every single day. So that like really hooked us in, I think. Yeah. I, I feel like some of the, the podcasts that we would listen to, we would kind of read the description first. And if there was like very lengthy eyewitness accounts and stuff, we would pay extra attention to that. So we would individually listen to those podcasts and then we'd all meet up at lunch and kind of go over it and see what what stood out to us especially about the primate behavior and how it mimics from what they're saying to what we're dealing with and i think a lot of those experiences you know we could kind of pick and choose what you know which ones we thought were super credible and which ones were you know kind of out there a little bit so i i, I think those were just like the most fascinating parts of the discussion and seeing some of the similarities to what these really in-depth talks were and experiences that these people were claiming to have how much they mimicked what we see on a daily basis see i i find this absolutely fascinating and, and obviously i'm not hearing this for the first time but i i'm aware of this well aware of this but i find it very very fascinating that my podcast and say west germer's podcast sasquatch chronicles which is a a, a fantastic podcast reach so many different individuals and create discussion and conversation. And so it's, it's real. I mean, really, honestly, it's been a pleasure talking with you guys and knowing that, you know, you guys do, do listen in on the podcast. It makes me wonder. It always makes me wonder because I've been contacted by other academic individuals and I'm sure many other podcasts have, it makes me wonder who's listening and who's just waiting to jump aboard and at least, at least uh, make the subject matter less taboo and discuss this subject matter. And you guys did. And I, I'm profoundly thankful for that because we've had a lot of great discussions. And of course, we've done a lot of great things, I think. Um, now, this leads into my next subject, which is Project Zoo Book, because there was a big 
step there that you guys took. And of course, Amy Boo is a huge player in this. I mean, basically the, the number one land bridge, the connector to you guys. And so uh, Amy Boo, I know you're in the, in the shadows there listening in, but welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm just having fun listening. It's, it's like it's happening all over again. It's so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, Amy, you know, you've recently become a, a Lint Project member, and we're glad to have you aboard. We're very blessed to have you come aboard with us and super stoked. So I wanted to I'm give so you a excited. shout out there real quick. <laughs> Thank but you. Thank you. you know, aside from that, can you, or for our listeners, recap Project Zoobook and your idea behind that? And then we'll get Jack and Ann talk a little bit about their connection with this. Right. Oh, it was just, I still pinch myself really every day, literally. I was out on Facebook and I always say I'm out there entirely too much, but there's a method to my madness because you know as well as I do that there are a lot of Bigfoot groups out there. And so I kind of haunt a lot of them because I like to keep my finger on what's going on. Has anybody seen anything? Is there a conference I'd like to go to? Is there a podcast I'd like to listen to? And so on. You know, has any any uh, audio been found that people are talking about? So I I belong to quite a few, and I was just kind of making the rounds that day over some of the different groups, and I saw there was a post there by a young lady that was asking for more information about um, an event and. I didn't see anybody had answered her and I can't quite remember if like there had been some time that had gone by or if I just happened upon it, but nobody had answered her. I wasn't doing that particular expedition. It wasn't mine, but I was helping with it. So I private messaged her and I reached out and I said, you know, can I help you with something? And long story short, um, over the course of a few days, I came to learn that she was indeed a primate specialist zoologist working at a zoo and that she had several coworkers who were also interested in the topic of Bigfoot. And, you know, we, we always talk about this, Shane, and I say, like, my, my jaw dropped when I learned that because I know there are other scientists and Project Zoobook isn't the first group that has had scientists involved, you know, in Bigfoot research and Sasquatch research, but it was the first for me. You know, I, I was not used to people really taking me seriously, you know, in my own family sometimes, let alone in the scientific community. So at first I wasn't sure if Anne, if she wanted if it was just like a casual interest or, you know, it was kind of entertainment, you know, but it wasn't very quickly. I learned that it wasn't just a casual interest. She was serious about it. And I don't know what to tell you, but it just kind of mm-hmm. boom, you know, started. <laughs> yeah. I started reaching out to people like you, other researchers, and and it just kept growing. I would love to hear her take on the start of exactly. that. Because I know when, yeah. we, when we did our thing about the researchers, I kind of gave my spiel there. So on our end, like we said, Jack and I, plus a couple of our coworkers were listening to podcasts like Monster X and Sasquatch Chronicles and kind of talking about our thoughts and what we thought the behavior meant and stuff like that. And just 
the more we listened, the more fascinated we became and we were just hooked. We just couldn't believe like, I mean, it makes sense because, you know, in my head, I always kind of thought that Bigfoot was just like a North American great ape. And just the fact that it was behaving like a primate, that just blew my mind. And it was also crazy kind of just hearing how many witness encounters there were, you know, because I had never realized, I thought there were maybe only a handful of people in the world who had ever had a Bigfoot encounter, but there's hundreds, if not thousands of people, and I had no idea. And so Jack and I kind of started trying to reach out to some investigators in the Bigfoot world because we just felt like we had something that we could contribute. You know, we had all this primate knowledge and all this experience working with primates. And we were like, well, what if? Like, what if we went out in the woods and tried to look for Bigfoot? You know, like we just felt like we could bring like kind of an interesting take to it. And it was hard for us to believe that like not a whole lot of people like us were interested in it. You know, it kind of blew our minds that way. And so we, like I said, we started trying to reach out to some investigators and didn't really get any responses. And we wanted to go on an expedition that was coming up, but we couldn't really afford it on our measly zookeeper salary. And so I just kind of posted it in a group and um, was asking some questions about an upcoming expedition. And Amy Boo ended up seeing my comment and this was like it came at the perfect time like we were pretty much at the point where we were about to give up because so many people had just ignored us and so Amy Boo commented on it and gave me some information and then she ended up sending me a private message just saying like hey if you're really interested you know like I could take you out in the woods and we could just do like a small thing or whatever and so I saw that and I was thrilled. And so we kind of chatted back and forth for a couple of days. And I think we connected on like a personal level, like she felt like a friend. And then so I kind of explained to her what I did for a living and all that. And she was very excited about it. And that's kind of how the whole thing started. So thank goodness for Amy Boo, because like you said, she she's the reason for all of this. So anybody that knows her knows that, you know, she's just <laughs> oh. a great, great human. Absolutely. And excited was an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Jack, what's your take on this? I mean, did you feel like you were this thrown into a different world or were you excited about talking with Damien and being a part of something and maybe, you know, where it would lead to? Yeah, no, Amy has been fantastic since Anne was lucky enough to get into contact with her. I'm actually still waiting for one person to contact me back that I think it's been two years. I should probably give up now, but we've kind of focused more on Project Zoo Book, and I don't expect that person to respond back to me now. And I'm I'm hoping that once they find out how awesome Project Zoo Book is, and as it keeps rolling rolling along as it has already over the last year or so that we've kind of formed this group, I hope that other people are going to be able to see that. Man, we really should have responded to these cool people that were reaching out looking for help because. That one person that responded to us has kind of started this, hopefully a, a more like you're saying, making this less taboo and we're getting people from academic regions and we're getting people from, you know, actual primate backgrounds and stuff that might be able to unlock a few doors that might lead to more discoveries and stuff too. Oh, that's, I mean, you know, just hearing you say that, Jack, makes me excited because I can hear your passion and I can only imagine some of the people that you've 
reach out to. You got my my uh, wheels turning here. <laughs> I, I got some ideas. <laughs> but having said that, with Project Zoo Book and some of our calls, you know, going along this journey, you know, what has been some of the, the more exciting things that have taken place? Uh, who, who have you really had a joy for talking with? What have you guys really taken away? What's been some of the, the more profound conversations we've had? I think from from my experience, I think one of the coolest things was Dr. Meldrum. Uh, you know, seeing him on countless documentaries and TV shows and stuff, like this guy is, I didn't know what his name was before, but as soon as this picture would pop up, I knew exactly who that guy was. He probably had a cast ready to show you on camera, and he would talk about the most in-depth stuff that, most people in the Bigfoot community probably weren't even thinking about. So for this guy to call us and want to talk to us and be very excited to talk to us, I had to look at the phone many times and Ann and I texted each other multiple times, even while we were on the phone call, because we could not believe this was the person that we were talking to. And then being able to talk to Laura Krantz that did the other, another um, Bigfoot podcast, that was amazing. A lot of the podcasts that the episodes that she had went through stuff that, you know, were part of the discussions that Ann and I were having on not a daily basis, but pretty regularly. And then to be able to go through some of the same experiences that she went through over the course of her podcast. I mean, that any of that stuff was mind blowing to me. I don't know if Ann has more too. Yeah, I would completely agree with you. I mean, Dr. Jeff Meldrum, <laughs> I, I don't even know how many times we texted each other during that conversation. Like, is this really happening? Just, you know, what a, what an amazing scientific mind and to be able to take his knowledge and his background and apply that to the Sasquatch phenomenon. I mean, it was just, it was thrilling to listen to him talk and to be able to talk to him. And definitely Laura Krantz as well. Her podcast came out around the time that we were, you know, forming Project Zoo Book and all that. But it was almost like her journey into the whole Bigfoot world reflected our own. You know, she started out very skeptical and I don't think realized just like how much there was to it. And so that was just kind of a, a nice reflection of our own journey, I think. And it was a lot of fun to kind of discuss the topics as she went through them. So being able to talk to her was really, really awesome as well. It really was funny timing when you think about it because Obviously, I was a, a part of what Laura Krantz put together, and it was, it was, I had a blast with her and her producer, and uh, I thought she really added a lot, to, a lot of value to the, to the subject matter. She came in looking at this in a positive manner, you know, skeptical, of course, but basically talking about the same things we talk about in Zoo Book, and that's why yep. she was included in one of our conversations. Now, guys, let me ask you this, and uh, Amy, chime in when you want, but let me ask you this. Jack and Ann, what have been some of the um, favorite topics that we've discussed in Project Zoo Book that really have maybe enlightened us and maybe perhaps you? Uh, well, one of the first things that comes to mind is the Olympic Project, what you guys are doing and what you have been researching out there. That was one of the first things that Amy told me about the nest site. And that was just, I didn't even know what to think about that. <laughs> and it, I just found that whole situation out there in the Olympics just fascinating. So that has definitely been one of my favorite topics that we've discussed. Obviously, known primate behavior versus Sasquatch behavior, like we already said, has been 
you know, that's always a fun subject to talk about. But I've also really enjoyed talking about how to make the subject of the Sasquatch phenomenon less taboo. Because like I said, I was just floored when I started to look into the subject about the hundreds, if not thousands of reports of Bigfoot encounters. You know, I just never imagined that there were that many people who have seen them. And so many of them describe such similar behavior. You know, like, what do these people have to gain by lying? It just doesn't make any sense. Why would they make it up? So, you know, there's just so many people who are describing the same things over and over again that I just have a hard time believing that it's not real. And how are they coming up with all of this primate behavior that I see every day? You know, if they were going to make something up like that, then I just don't, I mean, yeah, they might come up with a behavior or two. And there might be some similarities in between, but just the consistency between the reports I have always thought was just really, really interesting. And it's just sad, I think, that people hear the word Bigfoot and they just laugh it off and they don't even give it a second thought. It's like, to me, I feel like that's going against the very nature of science itself. You know, I think as people, we're just so arrogant to believe that we know everything there is to know about the world. And that's just not true. And so talking about how we can make that subject more of a conversation instead of just, you know, someone's going to blow you off. If you mention Bigfoot, I think that that has definitely been one of the most interesting things to me. Well, that sounded like a mic drop moment. That was, <laughs> that was pretty awesome. <laughs> and I totally agree with you. And I, and I really really appreciate that candor that talk uh jack what are your thoughts what are your sentiments on on what Anne's saying here yeah i really can't top what she just said i think that was said perfectly kind of encompassing a lot of stuff that we've been involved with and what we've been able to you know contribute and just even listen in on and stuff for some of these calls but i think like speaking back on the olympic project and stuff and then our ability to even go out there and visit it and being able to talk to obviously people that you guys have surrounded yourself with and hear their personal stories, their personal experiences, that's what drove a lot of this stuff home for me and kind of helped push, you know, in a different direction on how you believe in these things and how these experiences honestly changed their lives and shaped the way that they approach even just a daily basis about different things. Okay, now, before we further the conversation with Jack and Ann, and we have much more to discuss with the two of them, I would like to bring on Melissa as another guest of the show for a short segment. Melissa, who is a primatologist, has joined a few of our Project Zoobook conversations and has provided a lot of knowledge and feedback in regards to known primates, their behavior, social structure, as well as many other stimulating primate characteristics. Hello, Melissa. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you on the show this evening. For the audience, Melissa, can you tell us a little bit about your background, a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I am a primatologist. I have my PhD in biological anthropology. My research focuses on primate behavior and conservation. And so I have a pretty good background of primate behavior, uh, primate habitats, primate life histories, uh, and also a larger, uh, because of my background in biological anthropology, a larger background in human evolution, population genetics, and kind of related fields that I think are really relevant to uh, the topic at hand uh, because 
uh, we're kind of thinking about the behaviors and uh, characteristics of a large body primate. Yeah, fantastic. So how did you get involved with the Project Zuba? How were you formally invited to, to be a part of this project? Well, Amy and I are family. Uh, and she reached out to me because we had met before because we're family. We're fairly distantly related, but uh, close enough that uh, we have family ties. And she knew about my background and she actually contacted me about it and said, hey, I'm part of this group. I know your background might be relevant. Do you want to join in? And I, I kind of felt like I'm not sure how much I can really help you, but sure, I'd love to, if I can, I'd love to be a part of it. Absolutely. Amy, you know, this obviously is a family, <laughs> Melissa's a family relative. Yes. And she's been a huge asset in our group discussions, you know, short term, but been really eye-opening when I, I listened to Melissa talk. What's your thoughts on Melissa being a part of our discussions? Well, it's just so great. My mom actually made the suggestion that I get in touch with Melissa because although, like she said, we're relatives, we don't really know each other really well. We, we live in different states. We don't get together very much. You know, I've met her a few times. And my mom was saying, yeah, I think she has something to do with primates and, you know, um, was telling me all about her background as far as my mom knew. And it was funny because, you know, she was telling funny stories about when we were younger and everything like that. And so I said, hey, you know, I'll, I'll give it a try. So I contacted her through Facebook, which seems to be my primary method of finding people. <laughs> and, and I said, you know, would you be interested in something like Bigfoot research, because that's what I'm interested in. And right away, I think, Melissa, what you said was that you consider yourself kind of like a molder <laughs> and yeah. um, with the X-Files and stuff, and you were interested in mysterious things and all of that. So I was like, hey, sounds like she's going to be great. So we kind of had her on as a guest at first, which is what we do you know, to see if, if somebody's a good fit, whether on the Bigfoot researcher side or the scientist side. And man, she clicked with all of us right away. And we just enjoy you so much, Melissa, and everything that you bring to this project and to the table. And I have learned more. I, I can't even say how much I've learned and what a pleasure it is to just listen to you. And I'm, I really, really mean that. It's a lot of fun. And I think yeah, it's true. And I think everybody that's going to, you know, continue on listening to this discussion tonight will feel the same way. I'm really glad that um, my contributions feel like relevant and applicable. I wasn't sure when you first asked. I didn't know because it's not really my background, but I, I'm happy to talk about primates. And um, it, I'm happy that uh, it's been really relevant and really um, interesting to everybody. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Melissa. And, you know, before we get into talking about your insights and, and what you bring to the table uh, real quick what having you know been asked to join the discussion what were your thoughts on Sasquatch or you know beforehand uh, did you ever even give it you know a thought did it ever occur to you that there might be something out there uh, I mean do you ever hear about Sasquatch I have never had any personal experiences I know a lot of people in the group have and that's kind of what brought them into the group um, and they've had personal experiences and personal encounters. I haven't had any of that, but 
And I actually hadn't really thought about it much. But then um, actually while I was in grad school, um, one of my friends in grad school, one of uh, his kind of hobbies was Bigfoot research. And he was the one who kind of first presented the idea that not necessarily like that he believed that Bigfoot existed, but, but this was the idea that uh, it's possible given the large amount of forested area, uninhabited forested area throughout like the Pacific Northwest, Canada, kind of that region for a large bodied primate to survive undetected. And that was really what first kind of made me think about it and think like, oh, I guess there might be something to this. And as, as Amy said, I'm kind of like, kind of like to believe. So I'm, I'm willing to entertain ideas, uh, especially um, when there's some evidence that they might be possible. So upon hearing that is my first kind of like, start entertaining the fact that, well, maybe this is something that is possible, but I didn't really ever think about it or look into it too much until I started with this group. Okay. Melissa, what sort of insight do you think you can provide and how do you feel you can contribute to the group? Um, so like what their diet would have to be, I think I can give some insight into that. Um, what their behavior would have to be. Primates aren't generally solitary animals. We think about primates living in groups. Um, so we kind of have to maybe even broaden our horizons a little bit when we think about an animal that would likely have to be solitary or largely solitary. Um, in, the in the given habitat, but like, where would they get their food? How would they get enough food? These are the kind of things that uh, I can see in the primate world, what we know about known primates and kind of bring it in. And additionally, thinking about like numbers, uh, how many individuals do you think that like the population would have to have? How can we kind of model a population of this species? How do we determine if it's viable or what would be the size of population that would be needed to be viable these are kind of the, the questions i think that um, my background can help mm -hmm. answer and um and and also um as i mentioned earlier kind of evolutionary questions um because i do have a because i was in an uh, anthropology department i do actually have a pretty good background in human evolution and so i think this is an interesting question as well or an interesting problem to address as well like what's the evolutionary background of this species and again, based on the assumption that a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch exists, what would the evolutionary background have to be? And there's a lot of answers to that, but it does change, depending on what we think the answer might be, it does change some of our other assumptions about what they're doing. Yeah, no, One of the things I, I thought was really interesting, sorry, Shane, was I think it was the night that you weren't able to be on the call, Shane, and Melissa was talking to a professor from down south and kind of talking about some other scientists that we might want to pursue as far as what their specialty is. And I know, Melissa, you were talking about a certain type of anthropologist that you thought we, oh, sure. we might want to talk to. One of the things that I thought about um, was bringing in a, a cultural anthropologist as well. Uh, and the reason for that is because obviously there's a, quite a bit about Bigfoot that is tied up in folklore. and Folklore is a big part of like, there's a lot of cultural folks who are really interested in folklore. And it's a little bit of a departure from, uh, I think, what maybe we would consider like as, as a scientific approach, but it would be a way, in my opinion, to uh, kind of give a broader horizon of people who might encounter uh, the discussions happening. I don't think we should uh, like discount the folklore 
about Bigfoot because of course that's where a lot of the source of information is. That's where a lot of the witnesses come from. Um, and uh, the thing about a cultural anthropologist is that uh, they would take witness accounts at face value. They take it all very seriously and they would report it in such a way that was really respectful of what people were saying. And, and I feel like that's kind of sometimes a problem that happens in the Bigfoot research that getting people to listen and respect what you're saying. But I think that a cultural anthropologist would uh, listen and respect to what uh, what anyone was saying and, and take their statements at face value and say, I, re- I remember believe this happened. Like a step in the door. Like right. A step, a step, step in, in the, the door, door to getting a broader audience, I think. Right. So if there are any cultural anthropologists listening <laughs> that would like to maybe be a guest, hit me up. <laughs> well, I was going to mention one of the things with, this, with the Sasquatch phenomena or a lot of in regards to cryptozoology in general, the subject matter has seemed to have been really taboo. It, it seems to still be really taboo, but it does seem to be gaining ground and becoming less taboo. Melissa, I mean, do you think this subject matter should be taboo, should be front page, you know, inquirer stuff? Or do you think there's maybe something we can learn regardless of Sasquatch exists or not? Is there something to be learned here? And do you think science as a whole should maybe take a little bit as a whole, and there's individuals out there, but as a whole should maybe look at this with a little bit more of an open ear and an open eye. I mean, I certainly think so. I think that there's something certain to be said for um, not trying to put ourselves in little boxes, which uh, can be a tricky thing to overcome in scientific thinking. So much uh, we focus on is based on things that we already observe. So much, of, of course, because so much of science is based on observation. That being said, I think there's a lot to be gained to imagining what is possible. So if we just dismiss the idea uh, without even thinking about could this be possible, then you're very limited into, in what you're studying. And I think that's actually what I, a lot of what I'm interested in is because I don't have any personal experience um, with ever seeing uh, Sasquatch or even seeing the nest or anything like that. I don't have any personal experience with that. For me, the interest is more is, could this be possible? And I think that's a question that, uh, that's a good question for scientists to tackle. Um, and that's actually what even when I was in grad school, when I actually first started kind of hearing about people talking about this, wasn't necessarily like, oh, yes, we believe that Bigfoot is real. The question was, well, given what we know about habitat and diet and population that an animal would need, could this be possible? And uh, I think if you start from that, then that's really interesting. And that's even kind of like fun. That's even kind of like fun for people to kind of think about and just imagine like, could this be possible? It doesn't mean we're saying definitely yes, but can we at least entertain that idea? Yeah. And, you know, I was going to mention as well, backtracking a little bit, you know, over the years, there's been a ton of recent fossil finds that really shook up the anthropological world big time, uh, you know, when it comes to our human ancestors. Yeah, and, for sure. I mean, some really big ones. And just uh, yeah, recently, really there was a, ones. yeah, there, just recently, uh, I believe it was in, I forget exactly where, uh, but basically they found an ape that was in a Bavarian clay pit uh, that basically pushed back further upright walking individuals, our ancestors, you know, millions of years back. That really, that's really kind of taken a lot of science off guard from what I'm reading. And so once again, here we are with another fossil find and you know, fossils are rare and they're hard to come by. Yeah. 
and sure, every time that a big discovery comes out, it just kind of lets us see all that we didn't realize we didn't know. And it, there's just so many more questions. Where do all these things fit? We kind of have this nice picture of uh, evolutionary order. Oh, first we were bipedal, and then we our brain started to grow, and then we started using tools, and then we go, grew taller, and kind of this nice picture, this nice order. And as we get more fossils, the picture gets more complicated. It gets more cloudy. There's more branches. And I think that actually makes a really interesting thought experiment. What did all, what were these other branches like? What's their relationship to us? What did they do? What were, you know, what did they do to survive? Those kinds of questions. Of course, there's findings of other hominin species that seem to live much more recently than people originally thought. When people thought that Homo sapiens were the only hominins, um, still alive, there's been discoveries that show that, that indicate that other species have lived with humans for much longer than we previously thought, which I also think is really interesting. Yeah, like, like these little tiny populations. Yeah, right. Tree branches. I mean, it's not just it's mm -hmm. multiple and it's expanding. It seems to be expanding yeah. that there was for multiple sure. individuals living alongside each other. So that's I mean, mm -hmm. and that's still still going on. I mean, we're still finding stuff. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to be said about that. And I'm really curious down the road in the next couple of years, what they're going to find next that's going to totally shake up a thought process or a hypothesis or maybe something previously thought to be true. That, that's going to be an interesting thing down the road here. And I really pay attention to that stuff. Yeah. You know, when, when it comes to North America, you know, United States specifically, I think there's only been one primate found, a really small squirrel-like almost primate. So one of the arguments about Sasquatch being here is the lack of a fossil record and the lack of any primate fossils being found. Uh, yeah. I don't really have an issue with that. I, because like I said, fossils are really hard to come by in general. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it does bring up an interesting question that I was actually just thinking about earlier today that I don't know that we've really discussed it too much yet, but it, but I was just thinking about today, which is based on the assumption that there is a Sasquatch how did they get here and when did they come? Because as you say, it's going to be really hard to find anything in the fossil record, especially in the region that we're talking about. Pacific Northwest is so uh, moist that no bones are never going to fossilize in that region. So you're not going to find any evidence in the fossil record, I don't think. I, I think that would be very unlikely. So you have a question of how did these guys get here? And uh, I don't know what you're what other people's thoughts about that but I was thinking about today because the homo sapiens humans weren't known to be in the region until 14,000 years ago give or take so how did they hear when did they come did they walk across the Bering Strait were they here well up before that did they come over on a island a little land island like like we think the monkeys got here I don't know mm -hmm. so I, I think that there that's another part of the puzzle that that is pretty interesting but I agree with you about the fossil record. I think it's going to be hard to um, rely on that or hard to hope for that because uh, in, in so many regions uh, in North America are not good regions for fossilization, for preserving, preserving bones. So it, it will be hard to find bones. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and, you know, that's one of the questions I've always had is, you know, how did they get there? Where did they come from? Did they cross, you know, the Bering Strait? Uh, what sort of landmass did they get? to you know from point a to point b and uh, i think that's going to be something really looked at down the road here more more intensively mm -hmm. i think we're finding we're finding that obviously we don't know all the answers regardless and 
the human branches expanding. So, Melissa, last question here. Do you plan on maybe collaborating, talking with the zoo book down the road here some more? Are you enjoying the conversations thus far? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm totally been enjoying it. It's really interesting. I've learned a lot of a lot about Bigfoot Sasquatch that I never knew before. I really had no idea. So it's been really, really interesting to hear about the evidence, to hear about people's experiences. Um, I'm happy to keep helping out if my input is still valuable. I'm happy to continue to give it. It's, it's been... absolutely valuable. We just need to get you like on a trip with us. No, it's been really interesting <laughs> so in far. It's been really interesting so far. Um, I definitely ha- had no idea about how kind of like big the world was. Like, but like the people who've had experiences, who talk about it, who are interested in it, who like who you know have these personal encounters. I. I didn't, I didn't have any idea. And it's, it's interesting to hear about. It's interesting to learn about. It's really interesting to hear about the evidence that people out in the field are finding, uh, the nests, the vocalizations, um, all those kinds of things. I, I had no idea about any of that. <laughs> well, welcome to our world. And thank you for joining us. I mean, that's really, that's really fascinating that you say, Melissa. And I don't mean to carry on the conversation, but that really... <laughs> that that never really that thought never really occurred to me, but that's a fascinating point. I actually think that a lot of science and academic individuals just don't really they're not aware of maybe how many people report to have encounters uh, that there is more than just sightings out there that there are audio recordings there are some physical pieces to this puzzle whether they're they're legit or not that there's more to it and they just they're not aware of it or blind to it. They're just not aware because it's not their interest. Uh, Yeah. And I think that there is, I I don't know how, I don't know if this is necessarily the right way to phrase this, but more credence being given to uh, people's um, observations or people's reporting in terms of like, whether we acknowledge maybe a species in an area to kind of giving more belief to local reports, like, um, I mentioned it on, in the uh, in our chat before um, about the uh, I'm blanking on their name the marsupial the the thought to be extinct marsupial that now um, people are thinking oh maybe it's not actually extinct based on really witness reports of seeing of seeing the animal the tiger oh the uh, well the Tasmanian okay. tiger yeah. yeah that people that's what it is that this is an animal that's presumed to be have been extinct for quite a while. Um, I mean, driven to extinction by humans. And now people are saying, we know we see them, we see them, we see them. And there was an article published in a scientific journal that said, there's some evidence that these species might be still around. And it was really just based on eyewitness testimony. So I feel like there are people out there, or there might be some shift a little bit to um, trying to bring that more into the fold to say this actually has value. What people are saying, what people are reporting has value to our scientific understanding of the world and we should add it in. I can say firsthand in primatology, this is something like that uh, I think people deal with all the time out in the field. I remember when I was in Costa Rica one time and there was just being reports coming out about capuchin monkeys using tools uh, and people were starting, starting to see capuchin monkeys using tools. And this was really interesting because capuchin monkeys have been known to use tools, but locals in the area would say, of course they use tools. We've always seen them use tools. You know, nobody ever asked, nobody ever asked them like, what do the capuchin monkeys do? But they're like, yeah, they come to our, 
field all the time. We see them all the time. Of course they do these things. So I just think it's really interesting that it doesn't always necessarily occur to people doing scientific study to even ask those questions. Okay. <laughs> this is such a fascinating conversation. This is what <laughs> I, I love. I love, <laughs> no, I love talking with you. I mean, we could shoot, we, we can get three hours again. right here. <laughs> I mean, but you brought up another thing. I mean, just talk, listening to you right now, and you're so fascinating, and I love your knowledge, but uh, talking about natives and those that, uh, you know, like the thylacine, you know, the Tasmanian tiger, the, the Tapanuli orangutan was uh, uh, recently discovered, what, 2000, I mean, officially Yes, that recognized. was only a few years ago. Yes. Yeah. And the natives, like two years ago. The, the people in those areas were saying, yeah, it exists. It's a, you know, uh, it, but it took many years for science to recognize the fact that they did exist and it was based off of a skull and and visual sighting and all that stuff but once again here we are we're in the you know it was i think it was like 2016 2000, yeah, well, 2017 that was, I two years ago yeah. yeah 2017 and here we go again uh, a very small population indeed yes but these orangutans exist and they were known to the the inhabitants of these areas but not yeah. to science yeah yeah, it's it's just oh man, what a what a what a fascinating conversation, a fascinating trip. And Melissa, really, I really personally enjoy talking with you and listening to you. Mainly listening. I know when to shut my mouth and listen to those that are that have a lot of important things to share and say and know what they're doing. So, thanks for uh, jumping on the show this evening and and sharing and Thank talking you, with Melissa. us. Oh yeah, no problem. I'm I'm happy to. Dude, I'm happy that uh, you guys are so interested in uh, my input about things. <laughs> oh, we are. And we're, we're hopefully going to talk next week. Yes. Okay. Great. Looking forward Thank to that. You. Yes. Very much looking forward to that and continuing to hear from you, Melissa. So uh, thank you again for jumping on the show here and you have a great evening. Thanks. You too. I was going to say, Shane, that, you know, when I first started talking to Ann and Jack, that like you, bam, were the one of the first people I thought about, you know, I contacted my two Ohio research partners, Tina Sams and David Wickham. And I'm like, Oh man, you know, <laughs> I've been talking to this, to this uh, primatologist, this zoologist that, you know, is really interested in a Bigfoot. So I talked to them. And then once I learned that Anne was really serious, like I said, you were the first person I thought of, you and Derek, and I'm like, and I knew you, you know, I had met you, I'd been out to the Olympic project, and and so I felt like, okay, I'm going to be brave here, because, you know, sometimes um, you think something, you know, you yourself might think something's really great, but you don't know if everybody's going to agree with you, and so, you know, I, I contacted some different uh, Sasquatch researchers, and I was like, you know, you want to jump in here and every, obviously now, you know, everybody wanted to. And so you <laughs> were just somebody who I was like, please, 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 please. You and Derek, you know, I think I contacted Derek first and I was like, please be a part of this. Cause I wanted you guys to tell Ann and Jack about the nest. And I, I loved like our first conversation about those nests. And that was a big aha moment to me. I don't know if Jack and Ann want to want to say a little bit about what we were talking about those nests and about you had found like a a uh, elevated nest. Remember that whole conversation? Oh yeah. And they gave their primatologist viewpoint in there. Do you remember what I'm talking about, guys? Are you talking about the practice nest, Amy? 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. that was a good aha moment. Right, we're talking a little bit about the what we we call, you know, with the Olympic project, what looks like, and what we call a practice nest. Not saying it is. Obviously, we didn't see what made these nests, but uh, this is a good segue because we'll talk about that, and then I, I really want to get into Jack and Ann came out to the Pacific Northwest. Uh, they're not from Washington; they're from another state, but they came out to the Pacific Northwest and uh, got to view the nest, the nest area, the nest site, and a, a lot more. But it was really profound to hear some of their thoughts and opinions. I mean, I was I was a little bit blown away. Let's yeah, let's get there. Let's talk a little bit about that. So, and obviously, Amy's talking a little bit about the nest or the practice nest or what we perceive to be a practice nest. Let's let's get into that. Let's get into that right now and talk about that. Obviously, Jack's got some input. He was out in this area as as well as you, Ann. You guys came out together. And uh, what were your thoughts about coming out to this area? And you know, of course, Amy's talking about this this practice nest and that kind of really initiated the conversation. What are your thoughts? So we were just beyond thrilled to have the opportunity to go to the nest site. We can't thank you and Derek enough, but it was really exciting to see these nests that we had talked about for so long. I was absolutely wowed. One of the first things I think that I realized was just how far in the woods these nests are. You know, it's just, it's not an area that you would go to. And if I was a Bigfoot in the woods, that's exactly where I would want to be. And I remember looking at Jack and just saying to him, like, I could see the gorillas that we work with hanging out here. Like, it just seemed like an area that a large primate would want to be in. You know, there was plenty of food, there was water, there was all the resources that they would need. So that, I think, in itself was, it just wowed me. It was not easy to get to, uh, but we made it. And it, you know, it just, that in itself was incredible. As far as the placement of the nests, I thought that that was very interesting. So they were up on the finger ridges. If you know about the Olympic project or the nests, then you know about those ridges. And there were several nests and they were spaced out, but it was to the point where you could see the other nests when you were sitting in a nest. So you would be able to keep an eye on you know, what might be like your family group or something like that, because primates tend to, you know, they build nests and they stay in the same area and then they forage throughout the day, move somewhere else, build new nests. But just the way that they were placed, it just made sense, you know, um, from a primate perspective. Because they were up on these ridges, you were also able to get a good look at the surroundings, you know, and there was one that was this was pretty striking to me. It was on the very edge of the finger ridge and it just kind of dropped off on the other side. So you could be pretty much like the whole valley below it. And that could obviously be very advantageous if you're trying to keep a lookout or just keep an eye on what's going on around you. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Shane, that was actually the nest where they found the rocks that had been like struck together. No, you're, you are correct. Yeah, there was two rocks found above ground, and there weren't many, there weren't any, actually any rocks found above ground other than those two at that time that had score marks. No, yeah, had score marks. Something or somebody had at one time struck those rocks together, and they just happened to be at that particular nest you're discussing right now. 
which would make sense if you're, you know, playing the lookout, then you might need something to attract your family members attention or anybody that's with you. So I just thought that that was really interesting. Now the nests, they had been there for a few years. So by the time we got to see them, they were pretty degraded. You could still see like the main structure of it, but it wasn't like the big lush nest like they were when they were originally discovered. But it was really helpful because Shane and Derek, I think a, a couple months prior, had like basically reconstructed a nest. So we were able to see a nest that was relatively fresh and more like right, the yeah. condition of the nest when you found them. And so I thought that that was super helpful because it really kind of put the more degraded nest into perspective. And you could really see the structure then after seeing that reconstructed one. Um, and it was, you know, like the exact same shape as a chimp's nest or a gorilla nest. It was exactly what you would expect from them. And it had like the same really intricate woven construction. If you've ever watched a primate build a nest, it's very calculated and they take their time and they want it just so. And that's exactly what that was. And it was huge. Most of them were huge. You know, there were different sizes, but I could comfortably climb in one and lay down and you're like, oh yeah, I could definitely stay here. Like this is super comfortable. And it was funny too, because you could see almost like personality in the nest. Jack and I kind of looked at each other and it was like, oh, this looks like so-and-so's nest, you know, like this perfect big nest. It looks like it could have been built by this primate that we know. So I thought that that was really interesting as well. And, and then, and, and real quick, that's yeah. fascinating to me. And that's fascinating to me. We actually have never discussed that aspect to it, but the, uh, the personality thing, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I never, I mean, I've never striking. given that consideration. Yeah. Yeah. You know, explain a little bit more. That's fascinating. So the primates that we work with, you know, they take a different level of care when they build their nest, you know, like the boys tend to make theirs more haphazardly. They just kind of flop stuff on the ground and it is what it is. But some of, especially the older female, like chimps that we work with, they take such time building their nests and it sometimes takes them like, you know, 20 minutes to build a nest exactly how they want it. And they always want it really thick and they want it perfectly in like that little biconcave shape. And it's like, it has to be just so. And you see, like, even when I'm cleaning, um, like our chimp areas or our gorilla areas, like you can distinguish or have a pretty good guess as to what primate made that nest, like what individual made that nest just based on the nest itself. And you, that definitely came through at the nest site, too. It was like, oh, yeah, this nest looks kind of like that one over there. So I would guess that that was the same individual or, you know, this looks like it was made a little bit more haphazardly. And so I just thought that that was fascinating because we see the same things with the animals that we work with. So as far as practice nests, um, there was a nest that was built kind of half-heartedly it seemed like um it was kind of up in a little bush next to one of the bigger nests and I thought that that was really fascinating because juvenile primates you know as they get older they start to build actual practice nests because they need to learn how to build them it's not something that they just innately know how to do it takes a lot of work and they have to get it right so you know while they're still nesting with their mothers at night they'll actually go off and get some bedding and try and build their own nest. And that was, I think, 
you know, it resembled the nest that we saw up in that bush. It looked exactly like a juvenile practice nest. So. Oh man. Well, Hey Jack, I know you're still there. You've been listening in. What was your experience out, out here in the Pacific Northwest? Uh, and what were your thoughts on the nest site? So I'll start off by saying, and I'm not afraid to admit it, I'm not very outdoorsy. It, it takes a lot to convince me to stay outside for a lengthy period of time. But for this subject matter, I knew this was something that I was going to have to do outside of my comfort zone and stuff. And to say this was like a trip of a lifetime, I mean, I rank it up there. I, I was lucky enough to go to Africa for a couple of weeks. And it's it's up there uh, as to one of the coolest experiences wow. that I've ever been able to personally do. I mean, I would love to go back to Africa, but I'm already talking to you as to when we can come back out there and uh, go back out into the forest again. And I can't believe I would say that multiple times in my life, but that, that that's something that we're, we're hopefully going to plan again soon. But yeah, just like what Ann said, but to drive home the point too, for her, when she said that, I mean, this was deep into the forest, it's even further than what your listeners might be imagining right now. It's it's that much further, especially for somebody that doesn't go hiking and doesn't go into the forest very much. It's out there, and it's it's a place to where an individual that does not want to be seen by humans or by anything else, that would be an ideal location for them to pinpoint to where they would feel comfortable and they would feel safe with the rest of their their group if they travel in groups or whatever, whatever this area might have been or could have been. This was a perfect spot for them to be able to feel safe and to feel comfortable and to you know, a prime location for resources to be around them so that they didn't have to travel too far from where this location was. But even from before we got to go out there, just some of the phone calls that we had from our, our regular conversations and stuff, the things that, you know, your imagination runs with, with, you know, things that you guys are describing, it, I was horribly off from what I imagined from the phone calls to when we actually step foot into the forest and the way that you described the nest it made a lot more sense seeing it with my own two eyes and to be able like Ann said to sit into the nest and be able to almost imagine yourself as an individual whether it be one that we work with or imagining something else sitting in these nests and stuff it just it blew my mind and like she was saying too we could pinpoint which one of our individuals could potentially have made that nest if, if they were given that opportunity or if they were the ones that were out here making those nests and stuff. We can't for sure say that, you know, like this was built by a, a Bigfoot or Sasquatch or anything along those lines, but the area that this was located in, if somebody is doing a hoax or if, what other purpose would these, these things serve to be out into the forest? I, I couldn't explain that. Yeah. I mean, and I'll say this to be the, I guess to be the devil, advocate here devil's advocate you know obviously you guys are from out of state you're not familiar with the washington terrain and everything so obviously you're not familiar with that so you know at the end of the day your opinion on what you saw is based on what you guys know with no primate behavior and and those primates you work with and all that i just don't want to give a false impression here that you guys are vouching that these are Sasquatch nests. Obviously, you're not. You're just saying these are something. They look something similar to what you guys work with, and that that exactly. That, it looks familiar. Yeah. It looks familiar, and I, I appreciate that. And I, I'm that's exactly the point I want to get across here is that you know you guys are looking at something that looks familiar, but yet unknown. Obviously, Amy, uh, you put this whole little trip to the Pacific Northwest together, and. Uh, 
it worked out really well for I think my I I know for myself and the Olympic project, and I assume uh, because these guys want to come back <laughs> that it worked out really well for them. So thank you, Amy. Oh, it sure did. Oh my goodness, thank you. I I just can't say enough how much I appreciate you and Derek reaching out to us because believe me, you know, they were saying it was a trip of a lifetime. It was a trip of a lifetime for me. And I am just honored. It was amazing. You know, I, I know that um, you guys are, are very private with your research area and I respect that and that's the right thing to do. So to invite us there was just amazing. And thank you. <laughs> thank you. Like, I'm just like getting a little choked up here because this is just really still every day. It's exciting. It has never gotten boring, this whole Project Zoo book. And as we continue to invite other scientists to either be guests or possible members someday, we are just having so much fun. You know, Bigfooting Sasquatch research should be fun. You know, it's informative. It's a challenge. It's a lot of hard work sometimes, but this is fun, isn't it? It's fun. It's it's, so fun. And I feel like that's something to be said for our group too, is that we pretty much, like we've always said that it's like a big family reunion when we get together. Like it's everybody meshes so well and it's just, it's such a great group. And like Amy said, we can't thank you enough, Shane, because that was just such a special experience for us to be able to go out there. You know, Tina Sams was in this from the beginning too. And she and I and my mom drove and drove and drove and drove to meet you guys in your state. And we get there and we um, sit down for dinner with you and your families. And we were talking on the way there, like, what if they don't like us? What if we don't like them? You know, Because <laughs> it's one thing to talk on the phone and it's another thing to mesh in person and it was like right away it was a big family it really was oh absolutely and and you guys all rock i mean really it's it's funny uh we're getting towards the end of the show here guys but i gotta ask you ann and jack you know for future endeavors what would you guys like to see you know happen when it comes to project zoo book is there anybody you would like to see included in these conversations that have not been as of yet So I would love to, you know, just kind of continue on the path that we've been on being a think tank, you know, talking to more witnesses and connecting with people who are researching this phenomenon in a scientific way, you know, actually utilizing the scientific method, because Jack and I obviously appreciate that. In addition, like we said, we would love to go back out to Washington um, and Definitely, I would love to have, you know, more time in the woods, more like boots on the ground time actually doing research because I love that stuff. So I would, I would be totally excited to do more, you know, actual research in the field. Um, And as far as people that we would like to talk to, you know, for me, (laughs) Both in a professional way and when it comes to Project Zoo Book, I would absolutely love to talk to Dr. Jane Goodall. You know, she, first of all, believes in the possibility of a Sasquatch, which I think is fantastic. And I love that she's open-minded like that. Obviously, she's, you know, basically a hero of mine. But she 
worked with chimpanzees. You know, she basically pioneered chimpanzee research. They were a known species when she worked with them, but there wasn't much known about them. And she not only figured out a way to study them, but actually how to learn more about them and their natural habitat, which I think is so relevant to, you know, what Sasquatch research is trying to do. So it would be an absolute dream if we could collaborate with her. Um, I just think that that would be incredible and she would have so much to share with us, you know, so much we could take from her and learn from her. Jack, do you have anything else to share or say? I I think Jane Goodall would be a huge get for somebody for us to be able to talk to on a personal level and especially about her background and about the subject matter and stuff. But I think even within our field in the zoology background and stuff like that, I would love for other keepers around the country and stuff that are interested in this topic. I mean, that's kind of what Project Zoopbook is kind of created for, for all those people that are looking for that avenue to be able to talk about this, not just being making the subject less taboo, but just feeling comfortable and being able to talk about something like this, having that that opportunity to talk about it without, you know, somebody laughing at you or whatever. This is a space that we've already created. I mean, it's still early, but I would love for more people to be able to join in on it. They don't have to be full-time members or anything like that, but maybe they have some background. Maybe they've actually had experiences, but they've kept that to themselves. Hopefully this will be a place where people want to turn to and offer more insight, more information, and, you know, we'll keep growing from there. I'll give you the floor there, Amy. Oh man, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I just, I, I just um, concur with all of you that we want Project Zoobook to be a safe place for everybody to be able to share ideas. We're on a path on making this topic more open for all different kinds of people to feel comfortable talking about it. We are private, we are um, respectful of those in the scientific community that do need to worry about their jobs, because rightly so, they do. Um, we've talked about how just because one scientist is open-minded doesn't mean that their bosses or supervisor or the board, you know, is, and so we need to be careful about that. So, um, you know, we would totally respect that. We are excited the way we're going, we are um, working on some different scholarly material. We want to make sure we get this right with using the scientific method and, and presenting it correctly to people so that we can open their minds. And we have some different guests lined up and different trips lined up. And I'm just excited. If you can't tell I'm excited, then I'm not speaking correctly, but I really am. And thank you. So much. I say it. I if not every time we talk, I'm always thinking it. You know, if if nothing else came from Project Zoo Book, then our friendship in this group with you know we have our core group and then we have members kind of in the outer ring here. But like our core group that we talk a lot. It's you, Shane, myself, and Jack and Anne. Todd Niece is involved a lot. Tina Sams and David Wickham. We are just a tight-knit little family and having a lot of fun and learning from each other. Another thing I'd like to add is I've had a lot of people as news about Project Zoobook has come out, you know, the uh, Sasquatch researcher side, we already did our podcast with Monster X. 
people have been asking where they can get more information, where they can join in. And I just wanted to say that as of now, we're still keeping things kind of close. We're keep, still keeping things kind of private as we're deciding what direction we want this to take. So, you know, someday as the topic gets less taboo, maybe we'll have a website, maybe we'll have a Facebook page, but if that never happens, as far as I'm concerned, that's fine because we're still learning, we're still continuing the dialogue, we're still sharing with different researchers and scientists. So we don't really have um, a gigantic end game yet, but that's a continuing source of conversation and we'll get there and we'll figure that out. But right now we're just having a lot of fun. Uh, the only thing I would add is, you know, if, if there are scientists out there or researchers that have something that they think they want to add, whether it's a topic for us to be discussing or, or possible, possibly being a guest, you know, they can contact you, Shane. They can contact me either on Facebook or at BigfootAmy at gmail.com, and we'll see what we can do. You know, we, we, um, we are just excited to see, to see where this leads us. So thank you so much, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. And long live Project Zoobook. That's what I have to say. That wraps up another episode of Monster X Radio. I want to thank all my guests this evening, and I hope you all enjoyed part two of our conversation with some of the members and those that contribute to Project Zoobook. Until next time, remember, today's myth could be tomorrow's reality. Take care.